may recall our show on Friday, we were talking to Francis Beulah, the Globe and Mail um, senior reporter, who had written an article on the Jericho lands on Friday. MST Development Corporation, which is um, a corporation uh, that involves um, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh um, uh, people. They retain ownership of that uh, development corporation, and they unveiled Friday that they want to build uh, 13,000 homes on a 36-hectare site, uh, of course, on the west side. It's got a tremendous um, amount of housing attached to it, of course, a lot of towers, uh, some smaller buildings as well. It's a mixed-use community. Lots of interesting uh, proposals there. There Those, of course, who very much love the idea of 13,000 homes uh, being available uh, in the west side of Vancouver. We already have a housing crisis. Others have said it's too big of a proposal for that particular site. A lot of conversation around it. I'm very happy to have our guest who will hopefully shed some light for us in regards to that project. His name is Hale Salem, of course. He is a, a longtime guest on this show. He is the Squamish Nation Council Chair. Hale Salem, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, first of all, uh, how daunting is it for MST Development Corporation, and specifically uh, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh, to put together a project of this site, 36 hectares, 13,000 homes? Um, as a First Nations people, just give me a sense of what it was like just from day one starting a project like this. It is a very groundbreaking, exciting project for us, largely because of the history of us uh, reacquiring the lands in 2016. You know, these were lands that we had to negotiate to reacquire from the federal and provincial government, which then started us on the process of developing a land use uh, concept plan for the project. Um, It's been a number of years to get us to this point. There's still many years uh, left to go before we would enter construction. But throughout the planning process, we've consulted, you know, elders from our communities, uh, youth from our communities, our our different uh, families, as well as the general public over the last uh, two years to really come up with a plan that addresses many of the different needs that we have as First Nations, but also find a way to collaborate with the City of Vancouver and the general public to bring about a vision for the development that helps achieve a number of goals that we share between First Nations and non-First Nations society, including um, uh, 2,600 affordable uh, social housing units and 1,300 uh, moderate income rental units that would be incorporated into the project, mm-hmm. and then the rest being uh, market uh, leasehold strata condos that would ultimately provide a significant amount of revenue to support the First Nations in our programs and service needs. Now, some of, uh, and Francis said this yes, uh, on Friday, that generally when you bring a, a proposal forward for the second or third time, it sometimes uh, comes in big, comes in a bit, comes back a little smaller or redesigned, uh, a bit more modest. In this case, uh, it, it, you, the project itself uh, went the opposite way, where uh, in regards to housing itself, increased significantly, some say by 50%, from 9,000 homes to 13,000 homes. Can you talk to me a little bit about the decision-making behind going from 9,000 homes initially to 13,000 homes potentially? Yeah, I would say that there's two pieces to it. One is um, we've been working through the planning of this project in collaboration with the City of Vancouver. So we have a joint team between the MSC Development Corporation, Canada Lands Company, uh, which is a federal crown corporation, and the City of Vancouver. So we all have one combined team that's sort of working on the planning. And there's two pieces to it. One is the City of Vancouver, um, throughout a number of mayors and councils for the last 10, 15 years, 
have been very committed to working and supporting the First Nations here in Vancouver. Um, and so that's a big piece that the city is encouraging the nations um, to advance uh, a vision for our lands that uh, we feel is necessary. And then on the, the flip side, I think the nations themselves, um, ourselves, um, from the community level to the political level, have said, um, is this the right mixture of units? Are we doing enough uh, to support the overall opportunity? And I think coming through that, you have the city of Vancouver encouraging us to explore what is possible for the site, including adding in more housing, mm-hmm. as well as our own communities asking, is, is this the highest and best use for the land that we have? Uh, I think there are, are three towers that are 49 s- stories. Um, uh, there's other development as well, low rise, high rise as well. But many have said it's just too big for West Point Grey. As some have uh, you know, referred to it in a derogatory way as calling it Metro Town by the Sea, that you don't need that type of development. Uh, is this a desire for t- to have a community that sort of everything is interconnected? You live there, you play there, you work there. And this is the kind of density you want to see, um, number one. And number two, do you, are you sort of appreciative of, of, of the opposition that is out there to something like this? Yeah, I think the conversation around land use obviously elicits a lot of strong reactions. Um, the particular level of density and the unit size and sort of the tower to mid-rise sort of um, combination is really interesting. So we've actually, from a previous iteration, we've actually reduced the number of high towers and have spread the density throughout the the entire project. So instead of having some four-story or five-story, you know, those go up to about eight and some of the tower heights end up coming down. So we try to spread out the density across the development instead of having just like a wall of towers. Um, The other thing that we've changed is that by concentrating the density into certain types of buildings, we've actually increased the level of park space um, and common space that would exist in the overall development. So we're actually contributing 33% of the total site will be contributed as, as community or park space. Mm-hmm. So th- there's, a, you know, there's trade-offs. There's always going to be trade-offs on this. But I think um, the sort of, the, the sort of um, derogatory sort of language I think sometimes gets used, I think also misses the mark in the sense that we have neighborhoods like in Vancouver right now that have a significant amount of density, but also a lot of mixed use mm-hmm. um, with a mixture of commercial and work and, and uh, liv- livability um, that are highly popular. I mean, you think about neighborhoods like, say, for example, uh, Vancouver's West End. You know, it was controversial and it was built in the 70s, um, but today is largely, I think, remarked as a very beautiful, very livable, um, a very welcoming neighborhood for a lot of different incomes, different households. And so I see us sort of continuing that, that tradition of Vancouver building very wonderful, popular neighborhoods, but we're also expanding on that vision and including things that even places like, I think, the West End don't have. So I think the SkyTrain connections mm-hmm. to this site as a part of the Broadway extension will create a lot of access in and out of the site. I think that the restoration of some of the natural environment and the historic streams and things like that are going to help contribute to the overall livability of the site. So. The density is, I think, um, a lightning rod for some people, Mm -hmm. but it's trade-offs. By increasing the density, we've also increased the level of uh, affordable housing on the site, too. What do you say to the argument, and I've heard this directed towards the Oak Ridge development, uh, which is not something you know you're, you're a part of. We've heard uh, this to a certain degree about the Sinoc development as well, and I think we're hearing a little bit about 
the same sort of thing around Jericho, which is you've got these developers who want to build these towers, they're profitable, but now they are involving First Nations communities and are able to work around some of the general opposition in the past when they would never be allowed to build something like this of this nature, but now they feel that they can as long as they have First Nations partners. The First Nations uh, are the sort of, um, you know, in the front, uh, fronting this these, these large projects, but a lot of the stuff that they want to build would never be built if it wasn't for that involvement of First Nations communities. What do you say to those who make that argument? Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a it's a fair question to ask in terms of a general curiosity around what does this mean for the future of development within our cities. So I think the dynamics are a little bit um, different from each other. So a typical private developer, especially a one of the larger scale, you know, the West Banks, the Concords, the, the those types of big time developers um, within our city, if they were given a 90 acre site and they were to develop it. Um, largely the profits that they generate are going into their private uh, interests. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a private company, private owners, you know, that, that kind of thing. The difference here is that these are lands that have been reacquired by three First Nations governments. Um, the development of the lands and the profits that are generated off of them are all going towards basically nonprofit uh, social purposes. The, the revenue will go to support the needs of the three communities, um, as an example, you know, in my community, in Squamish Nation, we've identified over $500 million in capital needs over the next 10 to 20 years to be able to build things like elementary and high schools, clinics, elder care facilities, um, parks and recreational facilities, um, affordable housing to support our people. Like, we have over a half a billion dollars in capital needs, and mm-hmm. projects like Jericho, once they start to generate revenue, are actually going to be how we pay for those things. And just so to... I, I would say that it's it, it's an opportunity. Or I think the dynamics are slightly different where these are not just a typical private interest. These are actually communities that are trying to generate wealth. Uh, and just to confirm, this project, the Jericho project specifically, uh, will have to go through planning with the city and ultimately approval would have to come from the city of Vancouver. Yes. So um, these lands are part of the city of Vancouver's jurisdiction. Um, in terms of process, the first step, stage in that is to develop what they call a policy statement. Yep. Um, the, the plans that were released on Friday are the first step um, towards that. Um, the intention is to bring a policy statement to the City of Vancouver Council by the end of this year. Um, following that, uh, the, the development partnership would then have to secure a rezoning on each of the phases, just like a typical rezoning, and there'd be hearings and things like that. And then after the rezoning, there would still have to be uh, a permit issued for construction. So uh, best-case scenario we're looking at five years before we enter construction on any of the phases. Uh, since I got you here, my final question to you, uh, uh, and it's not regarding Jericho, but Sinoc. Where are we on Sinoc right now? Uh, I do drive by there every single day. I think I do see a crane. I see a hole in the ground uh, in regards to the first phase, the first building. Can you just give me an update on where you're at? Yeah, um, people will probably see a red crane coming out of the, one of the towers that's sort of starting to take hold. Um, over the next few months, you'll probably see another two cranes go up and then probably by the end of the year uh, there'll probably be around six or seven cranes altogether in the area uh, as we move into construction on phase two um, so well underway on phase one phase two coming soon and then eventually um, we'll hopefully secure financing for phase three and four and into construction there as well and so the first building in regards to availability for rental when would that be up i would say best case, best case scenario in the next two years wow there we'll you go. be able to start renting and uh offering it to Vancouverites to live at. 
Hale-Salem, thank you so much for your time. Always enjoy our conversation. Look forward to, to continuing the conversation on Jericho uh, in the yeah. weeks and months to come. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.